Startup Stories DSM features conversations with entrepreneurs in Greater Des Moines, Iowa, who share their stories of what worked and what failed on their entrepreneurial journey. This podcast is produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. More tips and resources are available at dsmpartnership.com slash business resources. I'm your host, Mike Caldwell, Executive Director of Entrepreneurial Initiatives at The Partnership. Megan Volstead, welcome to Startup Stories. You were one of the first 100 people at Web Filings, now Workiva. I believe Workiva is now over 1,300 employees. How did you originally find Workiva? Yeah, um, I was a junior at Iowa State starting to look for internships. And I was searching for something that was communications or writing, editing, marketing, advertising, applying to quite a lot that required cover letters and samples of your writing and references and your resume and happened to stumble upon one that only wanted a resume. And so I just thought, well, that's pretty simple. I'll throw my resume at that one. And it was web filings. It was for a um, internal communications intern and got the interview the, I think the next week and walked out of my interview with the offer. And so that started my internship. Um, It was something where I was looking for an opportunity to develop my practical skills and, and my talents in writing and communications. And so that it fit the bill. And happens to be good timing. Good luck. That's a classic startup move. Yeah. Um, A big company would have had three interviews over six weeks Mm -hmm. and it required a whole bunch of things brought in. The startup just says you're hired. Right. I remember talking about Jeffrey Chaucer in my interview and I I knew I was sold. So as an intern, what were the things that attracted you to work, Kiva? And what did you find once you got there? Sure. A lot of it was the responsibility that I was given, that was thrilling. And I think that in a startup, you experience that. You wear many different hats and you have a lot of responsibility. And for the role I was hired for, I was the only person working on that area. I was developing the content for the intranet and building the internal communications processes. And I had our our internal teams uh, to rely on, but it was just me. And so I really loved that responsibility. And I, I believe that if you give your employees meaningful work and trust them and allow them to have that freedom that they do very well. And I was very glad to find somewhere that also trusted me enough to take off and do that. Um, so that was that was great. And of course, it helped me develop my professional skills. And it, it did challenge me in my writing and communications. That's what I was hoping for. Did you get good feedback from the people or did they just leave you alone? Oh, I got good feedback. Absolutely. You so know, they didn't ignore you. Right, right. Okay. And at that stage, it, it was a very small company and you knew sure. everybody and you could collaborate with anybody, which you could still do um, today. But it was definitely team effort, of course. Yeah. yeah. I was with a, a company that grew rapidly and went mm-hmm. through the same kind of growth process. And it's, it's an right. interesting time. Right. So speaking of that, uh, Workiva grew really rapidly in the six plus. You were there six plus years. Yeah. Um, what was the culture like when you joined, and did the culture change? Yeah, it did. Um, but the culture remained and is still the number one priority for Workiva. That is a huge piece of working there and, and a benefit. Um, when I first joined, you, you, you would have uh, Nerf Wars, and there were rubber duckies everywhere, and you would do all-employee company lunches and meetings, and you had that opportunity to cross-collaborate with other teams those things still remained. And as the company matured, the culture matured. So of course there were changes, but it was really reflected in, okay, what do the employees who've been there for so long now want? And that's more mature um, employment benefits and, and perks. And maybe some things did scale back, but it all evolved and made sense for such a growing company. 
So there are what, four or five founders that company, if mm-hmm. I remember my mm-hmm. history right. Right. How often did you see the founders? Oh, fairly often. Did yeah, you? yeah, actually, uh, yeah. They traveled in and out quite a bit. We're very hands on, um, yeah. and, and you know, even when it was a small company, up to having sixteen office locations, they were always traveling in and out and visiting, and and it was a it was a big deal when they came in because you could approach them, you could talk so with them, and they wanted to hear from you. Yeah, Absolutely, cool. they're even great if you management were an team. Yes, even definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Um, so, what issues did you see related to the culture of the company? Mm-hmm. What kinds of things? Would you see? Because sure. there's always culture is an amazingly challenging mm-hmm. process in a company, and right. nobody does it perfectly. Sure, um, and I think I, th- I think a lot of it was attributed to growing pains <laughs> too. Is is just managing? You know, you had a lot of freedom and, and a lot of fun and flexibility, and that was important as a young company. How did they keep the fun limit down? Because in my company, nobody understood the upper limit on having fun. Yeah, uh, well, I our mean, fun kind of kept going in the evening, and uh, sure. usually got a few of us in trouble, and yeah. It's important to have a strong management team that can can step in and pull on the reins, you know. And I, and I think that 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 just happens, and that's natural. And like you said, you've experienced that too. Um, there just has to be the right people in place to to see when there are issues, and and there were good people there that could do that. So the management was pretty hands on. Yeah, matter. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that was also in a positive way as well. It wasn't just you know shutting things down. It was also listening and knowing. Well, okay, this is important to our employees. How do we adapt that, and yeah. how does that grow? And so that was a supportive nature too. Mm-hmm. So the company I was with was a lot grew a lot like Workiva did. We mm-hmm. got very very big very quickly, mm-hmm. and there was times I felt like I was living inside of a soap opera. I mean the the personal relationship stuff that happened. I mean we were like one time half the people there were single and under twenty eight, and there was like eight hundred of us total. So you can imagine the dating scene was interesting. Did did Workiva <laughs> ever have those soap opera moments? And, I, think, I think there were soap opera moments yeah, certainly. Yeah. What was also great about about that too though is you know if you were with the company for so long you actually got to see people. People grow and you got to see families grow and and mm-hmm. you know the people who were there for a long time see them change and mature and I'm, I'm sure people felt that way about me too was watching me go from an intern to a full-time yep. and and through my progress and so even if there is a young population and soap opera moments it's actually it's, it's really exciting to be a part of that kind of family in that way you get to know people better when you go through the soap opera yeah moments. oh certainly i married my my wife was at my company and we we're married while we were both there. And mm-hmm. I remember the day we went around and told her we were getting married, and most people had no idea we even knew each other because <laughs> we kind of kept it out of the place a little sure. bit. And, sure, It's probably smart. Um, yeah, I think she broke a few guys' hearts when she told them oh. she was getting married, which was pretty pretty interesting. How many roles did you have while you were at Workiva? Um, I had I had about four. It yeah. was from an intern to you know being promoted and, and hired full-time and then through my process. And I was on a, about three different teams while I was there, too. So I, I always had my core responsibility for managing and maintaining internal communications and the intranet and the growth there. But then when I first started, I was part of the human resources team. And so I, I helped with a lot of the projects and work that was there. Because, mm-hmm. of course, with not that many people, you pitch in where you can. Yeah. And, and then I was part of the marketing team. And so I would help with the user conference and occasionally a webinar and, and mm-hmm. some things that were outside of my core responsibilities. And then eventually the corporate communications team was built. And so then I moved to that team and that helps, you know, work on public relations, investor relations, sustain- sustainability report, and the yeah, name change in IPO. So yeah, IPOs a lot of different processes. bring a lot of new things to companies mm-hmm. when people go, well, let's go public. I mean, just the whole investor relations space in and of itself is a huge monumental challenge right. to keep the street 
right. up-to-date, happy, content, mm-hmm. um, keep them from being irrational, all those right. things that they can do. And it was fascinating so, for me internally because that was a big piece of my responsibility too, is how do you communicate this internally and what, what um, do you have to go through and what questions do employees have? How is this received? And What's it like to go through a quiet period right, where you're not allowed to right. talk about anything? Right. That was probably hardest for our company because we, we talked a lot. We were in the press a lot. We worked our PR a lot, and suddenly we had to go mm-hmm. just dead silent on sure. almost everything. That sure. was really challenging. Yeah. So um, did you manage others? Did you have other employees working for you? I did, yeah. Yep. Um, I had interns, had full-timers, um, small scale, but uh, I did manage and you know, also went through the employee life cycle. So yeah. from hiring to managing and helping employees grow to firing, and so – I, so you have to fire one of your own hires? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always a really humbling experience to fire someone you hired because you thought they were fantastic and then you have to right. let them go. It is also a very self-aware experience. I think you learn a lot about yourself managing anybody, of course. I, I think it's a great experience for people to have because you do learn so much about yourself and how you can help others and how you should lead and support others. And you're that right. Was if you're a huge. good manager, you think about those. I've seen sure. a few managers that don't think like that, but I don't That's think they qualify as a good manager. That's so. fair. Yes. Yeah. So adaptability is a key trait that I think anybody in a startup needs to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, given all your experiences, now looking back, mm-hmm. um, tell me what you look at as or how you view adaptability. I embrace adaptability. I think, you know, having started as an intern and gone through my first full-time job and my training has been in that adaptability and flexibility and in the startup mode. So that kind of comes second nature. What A lot of what I experienced was we could have a meeting on a two o'clock Tuesday, come up with an idea and you would implement it by the end of the day or the next day. Right. And then you're off and running. And I think that's a unique experience you get when you're working in a startup in a small environment. Oh, and, it's very unique. Yeah. yeah. And, and of course, you, you could go through that and realize that that idea did not work at all. And so you need to scrap it. And shut and it down by Tuesday ex- next, Exactly. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. And yeah. that's okay. In that environment, you just learn from that and move on. And that's encouraged and accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that continues with the accelerator and what we're working on now. Yeah. It's continually evolving. We're continually trying new things. And I think that the core group that we have, we're able to be flexible and embrace that too. Yeah. So you grew up in Iowa. Where'd you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in Western Iowa, um, outside of a town called Manila. Um, for landmark's sake, it's by Denison and Harlan. And we grew up, I grew up on an acreage. We had. No, okay, for the people in, Iowa, in Eastern Iowa, I have no idea where Denison and Harlan are. Oh, goodness. What's the big town? Spencer? Carol? Carol. Carol, okay. Yeah, it's like Sorry. 45 minutes yeah. west of Carol. I grew up in Eastern even. Iowa, so I don't sure. know. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So west of Carol. Yeah. Got it. Um, we had an acreage and we always had chickens. We raised ducks and geese, and then we had alfalfa fields. So it was a pretty typical rural America country feel small town it was it was a lot of fun nice how big a town was it oh i it's like i think they say around 900 900 or fewer so big enough to to where you don't probably know absolutely everybody but yeah nobody uses their turn signals right Right. and there's yeah only stop signs no stoplights in town at all so were you ever were you interested in entrepreneurial things when you're a young person yeah um, absolutely i i think key experiences for me in school where I I did invention convention and future problem solving. And so if anybody doesn't know what those are, invention convention is you come up with a a product, a solution, and you build somewhat of a prototype and do a report and you enter it into a fair. It's the invention convention fair. Yeah. Um, I, I remember building a tabletop 
stand for an oscillating hairdryer. And I, I think my dad certainly helped me a lot with this, but our prototype was a Frisbee where we drilled a hole and put a PVC pipe in and sure. then an elbow piece to hold yep. the hairdryer. Yep. And that was my prototype. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I also at one point had a invented a napkin ring holder to go on the edge of a table and for a cloth napkin or a towel you could hang it on while you were having your meal and sit down and uh, those were a lot of a lot of fun so that was kind of part of my problem solving experience creating solutions and with future problem solving as well um, as students you would be tasked with an issue a problem and you could come up you had to come up with as many solutions as you can and identify the one you want to address and then figure out your tactics to solve that and those topics ranged from nanotechnology to environments and um, anything in between. So I, I loved working on those. Those. I wish more people had that experience because it's mm-hmm. with a, st- a lot of startups start with somebody has an idea. Yeah. They build a prototype, physical product, software product, whatever, and they fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. And they haven't had the the process of going through the iteration yet. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm a. Many people that know me know that I really enjoy the design of Apple products. And, you know, the Apple product design process can lead to three or four prototypes a day. Right. Five days a week for years. Mm-hmm. And then there's one product I remember talking uh, with an Apple employee about where there's like over 10,000 prototypes before they put it out there. And it's, you just can't fall in love with that first thing. You have to keep trying and failing. Right. Trying, and it's not that you fail. It's just it's not right yet. Right. It doesn't meet the need yet. And mm-hmm. I think that people, I, I wish that more would have that. Yeah. Uh, experience. Did your parents have an interest in entrepreneurship? Somewhat. Um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom and entered the workforce again when my brothers and I were older. And my dad worked in carpentry and um, always did electrical plumbing work. So he was kind of doing his own business thing then. Um, he, I mean, he would always he was always always doing something on the side for oh, people yeah. in Western Iowa too. So sure. he would be laying floors or installing windows in somebody's house over the evenings and weekends, and we'd go and help. Um, but I think a lot of what they he put you to work. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Right. But I, you know, a lot of what I experienced from that, I think some of the entrepreneurial skills that come from that is that hard work, those values, yeah. which is very Midwestern as well, it and is. and giving to your neighbors and giving to the people you you can help. Um, those are pretty key experiences and values that they instilled in in us too. Yeah. No, it is very much part of the Heartland experience mm-hmm. of people helping each other. Whenever you mm-hmm. see, you know, every once in a while you'll see in the paper about a farmer that. Um, Either someone who lost their life or has been injured or whatever. The mm-hmm. next thing you know, every other farmer there around the area is in there helping them work Absolutely. the field. And, yeah. What were you strongest at at school? I made myself be very strong in all areas. I worked very hard to ensure that I was uh, successful in reaching my potential. But English writing communications was uh, always a knack that I that I had yeah. that I knew I wanted to pursue something in and develop that. And in your average day at the accelerator, how much time do you spend writing, r- reading? Talking, oh, all of it, all of it. You know, oh, isn't that all amazing? Of it. When people yes. are like, "Well, what's? Why would you care about an English tree?" It's like, um, let's oh, see, communications. It's essential. Yeah. Yes, you yeah. know, com- and something I learned from past experiences too. Communications is often the issue in an organization, oh, and ironically, it's also the solution in yeah. in that same situation. So, if you don't have those skills, you you're yeah. kind of stuck. You see the people that are absolute geniuses that have all these amazing skills, and then they can't 
break into the work mm-hmm. world or the team world because they just can't communicate it. Right. right. So those strengths transition when you went to you went to ISU. Yes. So when you went to college I at ISU, how did mm-hmm. how did that transition? What did you end up working on there? Yeah. So I decided to study English literature, and my intent there was to spend four years studying something I loved. So I wanted to get lost in science fiction and anthologies of English literature and Victorian poetry and things like that. Sure. Uh, but I, I also all with really high paying potential right. for jobs, right? Yeah. Especially right. The Victorian literature. <laughs> I'm sure there's some great jobs out there. Yeah. Well, if, you and my son need to talk because he likes Greek mythology yes. and he's getting a degree in classical studies. That's so, right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Well, I, and I went into that also knowing that I was going to pursue a minor in advertising because that was sure. a little bit more of my practical side. And I did not intend to leave Iowa State and pursue an academic career or pursue teaching of literature, which are two common paths. Right. So I, I was um, a little bit more practical on that side. And of course, with advertising and the classes and skills that I developed there were along the same lines of effective communication, but in a little bit different way. With a bend of psychology. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So you now run the Iowa Agritech Accelerator. <laughs> How the heck did you go from corporate communications to executive director of an accelerator? This has got to be mm-hmm. a good story. Yeah, sure. Well, I spent a good amount of time being introspective, um, maybe my last year at Workiva, probably a little too long. But as as in the most cases, that had good timing and good luck to find my next step. And so I was looking for a challenge. I'm a lifelong learner. I was not done being challenged professionally, and I wanted to continue to grow. And so I, I, I decided to spend some time and look for what would be really meaningful work for me and what I could use my abilities and how I could help others. Those were important to me. Um, my original connection was through Megan Brandt at the Global Insurance Accelerator. Mm-hmm. She's a good friend of mine and also worked with her at Workiva. And so I got to know a lot about how an accelerator works and working with startups in this really, really early stage yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Um, got to know Brian Hemeseth in that way, too. And then once the Agritech Accelerator advertised for an executive director, I took that and began to look at what that would take. And I think having some of my extra knowledge about what it was going to look like, sure. then I could consider it a lot more. And it really yeah. fit the bill for what I was looking for. Nice. Um, but of course, I, I also got to meet um, Tage and Scott McEntee from Farmers Mutual uh, at an Innovation Iowa Magazine event yeah, I was just say, prior to- I remember to, you from when you took them on a tour of Akiva. That's right. Yep, so before you, the you event. you left a positive first impression. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, so I, I had good people that I that I knew and um, yeah. was connected to. And then, of course, it was- um, Something I think it convinced. So Megan Brant's at the GIA, which is in mm-hmm. the same basic facility as the Agritech Accelerator. Mm-hmm. You, t- you two used to work together at Workiva, right? We were both so on the let's communications hear the story team about the Megans. for quite a while. Yes, yeah. I want to hear about the Megans. Yeah, so we were dubbed the Megans at Workiva. We also had our own email address. It was a joint email, Megans at Workiva dot com, and often it was uh, more convenient in that way, so that we could divvy up the work from there, and no one really had to think about, okay, this Megan does this, this Megan which, does which that, Megan? right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Make it easy, Megan's at. Yep. I like it. Yep. So there's a startup, because in a large corporate, you'd never get the no. extra email address. They'd never let you do it. <laughs> right, You'd yep. have to go outside to like Gmail to make that happen. Yep, so. it's pretty good luck that we got that to happen as well, well but pretty, um, that well, was a lot of humor. fun. I mean, that's part of, yeah. that's part of having a culture is letting the humor flow. Oh, certainly. We had a uh, company, uh, our company's name was Norand, N-O-R-A-N-D, and the communications team, the marketing team, created a newsletter. And let's keep in mind, mm-hmm. email wasn't even going at this point printed newsletter called the Norian Now, N-O-W. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the guys on my team started writing a, a satirical version of it, an oh. underground version called The Not Now. And it was shots. It was very polite. It was well-written. Mm-hmm. The guy was a great writer. And he wrote this thing. And people passed it around inside folders and because nobody was supposed to see it. Nobody was supposed yet. to know about it. Well, one day it comes out the CEO knows all about it. And of course, the CEO is one of the favorite people we took shots at, that he took shots at in there. I mean, funny shots. And so the CEO came down to see John, and John just, and John was a pretty sensitive guy, and he got shook really easily, and he was literally shaking in his seat. Oh. And Bob finally looked over and said, John, I'm not mad at you. Oh. I want you to keep doing this. This is great for culture. So it was yes. that same thing yes. where the culture matters. Absolutely. So. So once you were selected to lead the accelerator, what happened next? I mean, you, so you're selected, you're hired, mm-hmm. and I know a little about this personally, but share with what happened next. Sure. How, how much time was there until it was uh, you were on stage and going? Oh, sure. Um, well, I I actually spent my last week at where Kiva taking the afternoons, coming to Des Moines to participate in the interviews for. <laughs> so I had a little bit of overlap, but I knew I needed to get running with the accelerator, and I was able to do that. So you were actually selecting the class members. That's right. So I got, in, I got in on some of the interviews for that process. Well, you did better than Brian, because I think Brian had a class handed to him. Oh, remember, sure. Right? So sure. at least you got to help. Yeah, I'm very grateful yeah. for that process. <laughs> and of course, Tage was the interim director and right. still taking a lot of lead at that point until right. I could really get in full time and um, get my bearings. But yeah, it, the that process was um, very accelerated as well, and I <laughs> I knew to expect that. So I feel like I was pretty prepared to just dive in and get my hands dirty and know that I had very little time to prepare, but very good support in order yeah. to do that. Well, and you had Megan and Brian there nearby yes. to lean on their experience that mm-hmm. had to help. Absolutely. So how much time from when you started to when the class started? I, it was it was about a month because I, I think it was... Oh, a whole 30 days. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Well. I guess I, it was like a June 12th when I was my first full-time day, and then July 10th our okay, program that began. Sounds about right. Yes. So um, tell me about the first week of the class. Did you When the actual class is going, did you mm-hmm. feel overwhelmed? How did you feel about it? Because that's a pretty intense time, when yeah. you, even if you do this regularly. Right. Yeah, I was overwhelmed. Um, I think we were all running on adrenaline at that point. And the first week was a lot of getting to know each other. Also, for me, it was a lot of what is my relationship to these startups? How am I leading them and also being a teammate to them and also a friend? And how do I balance that? And a mentor. And, and a mentor. And a, and yeah, and all of these mom. different roles. Yeah, right, the mom dad role. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and you know, I made sure that we all knew this was a new program. This was the first accelerator that I'm new at this, and the startups are brand new. So, uh, some one way we approached it was we're a team, and I'm always going to welcome their feedback, and we're going to work on this together. And that adaptability came in because that's what we wanted to do is take issues and solve them, or bring up ideas and and implement them, and and uh, be a good team together. But it was a long week, and well, and keep for those who are listening, uh, there was something called mentor speed dating going mm-hmm. on. So it wasn't like everybody just showed up for the week. Talk to us about what mentor speed dating was for these people and kind of what they right. were put through. Yep. So the, I think the third day that they were in town, we started mentor speed dating, and that is back to back half hour meetings with all of the mentors who have volunteered. And so they, the startups go through their pitch with each of the mentors so that they can understand what they're working on. The mentors share their background and experience, and then they spend a little bit of time figuring out how can they help each other and what expertise, what introductions can they make. And those end up being very, very long days. Yeah, because you do eight or ten in a day and you mm-hmm. do it straight through till it's done. Right, right, yeah. for, you know, six teams. <laughs> so you had to ask a team to leave the accelerator. Mm-hmm. 
What was that like for you? Sure. But it was it a hard experience, of course. But I think it was also important because in the Accelerator, we're not just a program that you develop a pitch deck for and get to demo day. That's not the point of the Accelerator. It is to further your business and work on your product, work on your business plan. If you pivot, how are you going to move forward? And and that's where we step in to help, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that's not how a team is working and not not being successful in that way, we had to address that. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people locally don't know is accelerators. You can get into accelerator. There's no guarantee you're going to get to leave it successfully. There's no mm-hmm. guarantee you get to get on stage right. and present because right. if you're not ready. Mm-hmm. So when that person, that team was asked to leave, how did the other teams react? It was, it was mixed. They were a little shocked. I think it's hard because you work with somebody so closely for a hundred days, and all of a sudden, it, you know, it didn't. Somebody's they're gone, gone. right? So, you know, they had close relationships, and I had close relationships with them too. Um, but in the end, they understood, and you know, you, they were they were there day to day as well. So they knew what was what was True. the goal. So you're currently selecting uh, 2018 class members, mm-hmm. literally. Uh, in the in the midst of it, how is yeah. it going? Were you happy with what you received this year? Yeah, and- I, yeah, I was. I was very happy. We had a really good range. AgTech yeah. is interesting because that means it could be livestock, new tractors, software, um, aquaculture, poultry, chips, chips, chips. chips yes, <laughs> something in the oil refinery process. Yeah. It is so broad. So it's fascinating um, to to see what the applicants are and what they're working on and then learn about that. And the interview process is is great, too, because we have all of the different perspectives from our outside board directors and right. our seven investor companies and understanding what they think is valuable and what they think we can do for these teams in 100 days. Yeah, you're kind of an interesting space because you've got to manage the, the needs of the of the class members and mm-hmm. what we can do for them, but also you've mm-hmm. got investors and right. having set through some of those you know, you'll have investors. One's really interested, one's not interested at all. Right. And so, trying to balance everybody's wants is kind mm-hmm. of an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. So, I'm curious what you're going to take from what you learned in 17. What are you really applying to 18, and what are you leaving behind from 17? Yeah, well, 2017 was definitely a building year for us. We needed to have that kind of baseline and then grow. So, there's a lot that I'm taking and. You know, as I mentioned, we all worked together as a team and and adapted as we went, but that also meant that I got a lot of feedback throughout the process and then after the process. And so, um, honestly, 2018 will just will grow. I'm adding more content. We're having a better defined curriculum. I I have more farmers as customer discovery contacts. And that's going to help. The farmers are really critical. Yeah, yeah. And I saw different gaps last year in our mentor pool and resources that we needed to provide. And so I worked a lot on this off season to make sure that we had that. So 2018, it's going to be more and efficient and exciting still. More, but with the same amount of time. Right. Yes. So compress, compress. Mm-hmm. Um, so both at Workiva and at Iowa Agritech Accelerator, you're in this role of managing founders and leaders. You have mm-hmm. to manage upward. Mm-hmm. And that's not an easy thing to do. What a lot of startups have to deal with that. A lot of people working in startups have to deal with managing a founder, managing mm-hmm. uh, a leader. What can? What is it that you've learned you can pass on to other people working in startups? Sure. I think it's important to to have passion and to embrace the highs and lows and also understand that you have a voice and that your opinion matters. But especially if you're outside of the founder team, yeah. they 
make the decision. So, you know, in, in my That's role. That's a hard thing for people to get to the point. Right. It's like we have this great discussion, but the, deci- the, right. the, the leaders will decide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's been it. That's been a good learning experience for me in this way, too, is because I've certainly felt like I've taken responsibility for the startups. But in the end, it's it's up to them. Yeah. Yeah. So in a moment here, we'll open up to questions from our, our live audience. Mm-hmm. But uh, so accelerators in general have graduation days. Normally, it's focused on raising capital. Mm-hmm. The Agritech Accelerator has a very unique graduation process, especially coming into 2018. It's even uh, expanded from mm-hmm. last year. Right. Tell us about the graduations for the 2018 class. Sure. Well, uh, first, I want to mention that we we are ending our program at the Farm Progress Show. And so that is a well, right. kind of a precursor to um, our demo days, just that we're going to be featured at the Farm Progress Show with our startups, which is is a great opportunity. So that's one regional event we get to leverage. And that's a big event. Absolutely. I mean, that's Farm hundreds Progress of thousands key. of people mm-hmm. show up at the Farm Progress Show. It's yes. not a small event. Right. Yeah. And our, our demo day will be in October. We partner with the World Food Prize for that event. So during their Borlaug Symposium for that week, we are a side event. And that's such a wonderful platform that's also focused on sustainability in agriculture and in a worldwide application. And agriculture happens worldwide. That is key. It's not mm-hmm. just in Iowa. Iowa is an awesome leader for that. And so by leveraging that event, we get to put our startups on a stage that is global, that they can share their product. We do a product pitch at that yeah, event so that yeah. they can show what they're working on and find potential partners and customers right. and it, it, potentially investors too. GIA was kind of the founding format for uh, the structure of Iowa Agritech Accelerator. What, what changes took place or what, what's different based on the, maybe describe the model, uh, the multi-investor model, and then what what changed going into the agritech accelerator? Sure. So we are we are um, based off of the GIA, and that has originally started with seven investor companies who provided the funding for the accelerator and also the seed funding for the startups in exchange for equity. And then that means a hundred day program in Des Moines where they work. It's a mentor driven program, so you work with the key people and the startups together to further their growth and development. A couple of things that are different about the accelerator or the agritech accelerator, we we do have entrepreneurs and residents who come in once a week and they focus really strategically and tactically with each of the teams. Um, They become a great extension and also advisors during that time. Um, We also, since we do work in ag tech, that is a lot different than insure tech and also means potentially more hardware companies than what you might encounter in the GIA. And so uh, that was a a big piece from last year is we had so many hardware companies that um, we had to develop the resources and the right connections to provide them prototyping and um, connections to to develop molds and and how are they going to manufacture this equipment later. So, uh, So those were some of the key things. You might talk about the nonprofit aspect because oh, mm-hmm. of the way it's structured. Maybe you can speak to that. Right, right. So our accelerator is, um, in, as an entity, is a nonprofit. And so we're also able to offer sponsorships or partnerships with trade associations and other organizations in agriculture. And then they're able to support us and also support the industry and further the industry, too. Yeah, it's it's hard because if you the insurance industry startups are all pretty much for profit. Mm-hmm. In the ag space, there's a tremendous number of associations and trade groups that are right. nonprofits, and they can't take a for profit role. Right? How do you? Uh, what are the criteria you use? And what are the key criteria you use to mm-hmm. select? Because you do get a lot of applications. Right. What are the key criteria you use to select the, the class members? Sure. Some core things, as in 
will they accept the the equity stake and are they able to be in Des Moines for the majority of our program and you know the value comes from being in person working with the mentors and the entrepreneurs and residents and the connections that you get here so if they're not able to commit time to be in our program in Des Moines that is one of our criteria um we we do look for ag tech and our investor companies provide a lot of input on um the impact that the startups can bring with their solutions and we also look at how can we help and accelerate their growth in 100 days that is a very short amount of time and so we look critically at the resources we have the mentorship the guidance and how and the funding that we provide and how can that help a startup in their focus area excuse me during that 100 days so when you had back at Workiva, when you had to let somebody go, the first person, was it for you know kind of a known rules violation or was there kind of new ground that was broken that you had to deal with and ended up in a firing? Sure. Um, first, it was the breaking the rules. So it was a pretty straightforward experience. Yeah. But I've had both experiences. What was the one like where it was new, new ground? Yeah, that was challenging. Um, I think that that one probably caused me to look most critically at our our team and my leadership and the I took a lot of input from other others to ensure that was the right decision and yeah. so that was it was challenging. And that's a helpful one you do have a management team around you because mm-hmm. you got somebody else to ask when you're the the lone leader, the mm-hmm. lone manager of a company and all you are is you. Right. And it's a lot harder. Mm-hmm. When it comes to mentors, about how many do you have? Do they come to you? Do you come to do you go to them? How does that work? How do you find your mentors? So we have about 120 mentors right now and that has grown exponentially over the last year in the last program we had we went from 60 to 90 and we're starting this program with about 120 and it's a combination of me kind of going out and recruiting and knowing the areas that we might be lacking or I would would like to develop a little bit more and that could be in prototyping and hardware or I want somebody who knows about the livestock industry so I, I go out and find them those trade associations and start there and the, a lot of people actually also reach out to to me to be involved. A lot of people want to give back. It's we I think we've talked a lot in this community about that give first mentality. People here are great about doing that, um, and a lot of people want to help startups. And so it's a good mix. Um, I've been impressed because I was involved in both of them, mm-hmm. uh, both the accelerators. Truly impressed by the number of people that will seek you out and say, yeah. "I want to be a mentor." Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were getting ready to do the Agritech accelerator, there's a lady that. Uh, is with Cortava, used to be Pioneer. And I think a, the minute it was even whispered that there might be one of these, I, she had sent me a note that said, I want to be a mentor. And gave me her qualifications, said, what can I do to help you raise the money? What can I do to get this going? And it was just, it was amazing. Because you, mm-hmm. you, I'm sorry, when I was in Seattle, it didn't work this way. This is way different Absolutely, here, so. absolutely. So the question is, are the mentors all local and based in Des Moines? No, absolutely not. Um, I have them all over the country. And so um, we will do remote meetings, you know, when we try to do mentor speed dating and, and set that up so that at least there's a video call. And it's obviously easier to do it in person, but we can accommodate them anywhere. And uh, they're always valuable connections, um, no matter where they're located. We probably neglected to mention that you have applications as startups oh. from all over the world as well. So yeah. can you name the countries which you had applications from? Do you uh, remember them all? This, this year? Yeah. Uh, gosh, I had Pakistan, Nigeria, South Africa, Argentina. Um, 
Kenya and and plenty in the United States. Oh, I had one UK team. Probably missing a couple. Yeah, I think it's something a lot of people don't understand. This yeah. is truly a mm-hmm. a global format accelerator. Do they have to be here even if they're international? Right. That's right. And through the application process, that's clear. But of course, if we were to offer to one of those startups, that would mean going through all those logistics of how do they get here and um, stay and for 90 the added days. added complexity of visas mm-hmm. and immigration. Mm-hmm. And that is a challenge and it's getting very difficult. Right. For this year, how many of the teams are outside the U.S.? We, we haven't officially gotten our lineup of teams yet so that's uh, for 2018 we're still working through that process so yet to be seen well megan volstead thanks for joining me for startup stories thank you so much thanks for listening to startup stories dsm podcast inspired by this startup story visit dsmpartnership.com business resources to find upcoming events videos and other free resources dedicated to helping startups and entrepreneurs accelerate success in dsm usa That's dsmpartnership.com slash business resources. Thanks for listening.